Hi, this is Bill Farmer, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast here on the Internet. Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. My name is Justin Connors, and I'm here, as always, with... Uh, Jamie Green. Hi. And we're here for another great week. Before we get into everything, if you want to hit us up on Facebook and Twitter, we're at the GBB Podcast. Go there, check us out. And this week, we're talking again, 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 it seems like always, but, you know, with, with the movie coming up, we have to. Star Wars. Yes. And I saw the, the Japanese trailer that released. I wasn't going to watch it. You weren't. Well, I wasn't. See, I'm, oh, I, I, I feel like at this point, they're not going to release anything to sort of like betray anybody's trust. Right. Like, I, I feel like they're not just going to like outright spoil the movie in a trailer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really have any reason to not watch. I, you know, I'm not like, when, I know that there are people who. At least they say it. I don't know if I believe them. They're like, oh, I haven't watched anything. I don't. I want to go in completely fresh and clean and, and you know. I don't buy it. I don't, I think don't buy so. it. There's no <laughs> way that somebody could not, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan who cares enough to want to go into the movie fresh, you've watched the trailer. Yeah. Like, there's no way anybody has that much self-control. Um, yeah, so I, I watched it as soon as I saw a link to it. And mm-hmm. um, I have mixed feelings about it, but I think it was on the whole pretty good. The... Um, I tell you what I liked even more though is that one um, that that just I guess it was just a TV spot that came out. Okay, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, there's a TV spot that came out, and there's a, a few new shots in there, and there's a shot of uh, Han Solo um, on a snowy planet, and it looks a lot okay. like Hoth. So. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, that's see, that's different than everything we've seen so far. So that'll be. It cool. is. It's a it's a new environment. We haven't really seen a snowy planet in mm. any of the trailers or anything. So it's a new environment and another shot of Han and. Uh, Still no uh, Luke, and we still just have that one shot of C-3PO from the Japanese trailer. Right. That's all we've seen. What, I wonder why they're not... I guess they haven't really shown Leia either. They have, but not really... Not like not anything crazy. <laughs> you haven't got yeah, any- we've just seen a few like passing quick glimpses of her. Right. Um, I feel like... Of the three of them, I feel like Han Solo probably, you know, Harrison Ford is probably going to have the biggest role right. because it seems like just from what we've seen, it seems like he's sort of going to be the guide to take, you know, uh, for like Ray and Finn to like take them and like reveal what happened to the Jedi and reveal the truth, you know, yeah, pull back the curtain a little bit. So I feel like he's going to be the guide. Um, 
in what we saw of Leia in that Japanese trailer, it looked a lot like the ending scene on the battle of for the battle of Yavin. Like she was in like mm-hmm. this control center. So it looked like she's very much like involved politically and militarily, I guess. Um, I mean, this is all supposition, whatever. We're right, right. Total nerds. We're, we're analyzing the trailer. We're totally analyzing <laughs> at this point. Um, anyway, so, you know, it's either that they just don't want to spoil anything. They won't, they don't want to really reveal too much about what they're doing or, you know, the Luke and Leia characters aren't in it very much. Right. And there's not that much to pull from and they don't want to show everything that there is. Right. They just attach their names to make everybody happy. <laughs> Which would might not surprise it wouldn't surprise me. I mean I, I'm kind of leaning toward my theory is that we won't see Luke until the very end. Right. You know, I don't know I don't know if he's gonna be dead, um, you know, from the right. beginning or if he's going to die in this movie, but I feel like we're not going to see him at least until the second half of the movie. Yeah. I, yeah that'd be pretty, yeah. I don't even know what to say. I could be completely wrong. Yeah. I mean, it could start with him, you know, like doing push-ups in a gym. I have no idea, but... Um, um, He's going to yeah. pop out from behind. So I want to get those power converters. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, you know what I did here is I heard, um, I heard a rumor. And now I, if you ask me, I can't even tell you where I heard this rumor from. But I heard that um, Frank Oz is going to be back um, okay. to do a little bit of Yoda. Okay. I would imagine. That'd be cool. I have no idea if there's any truth to they that. Have, they have to put Yoda in it. I, think, I mean, I if he shows to. up as a force spirit, it would make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Luke is talking to him or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really hope he's the only force spirit we see. <laughs> you don't want... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> uh, for spirit Anakin. <laughs> yeah, there's no other Anakin, no form of Anakin that I want to see as a force spirit. Um, I really don't need to see um, uh, Liam Neeson come back. Right. And um, since Alec Guinness is no longer with us, I don't need to see uh, Ewan right. McGregor come back. Either. Right. Because we've already seen Obi-Wan as an old dude mm-hmm. for spirit. It doesn't make any sense to put Ewan McGregor in there now. I am a Jedi with a unique set of skills. Unique set of skills. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Um, I can't, and obviously we're counting down the days till yeah. the movie comes out. And in preparation for that, we're interviewing different people connected to the star wars franchise and this week is no different and this one is unique we've been talking about it um a little bit because we had a review contest Mm -hmm. um and we're giving away a book by by the author ian desher and uh his book is really unique why don't you tell the people about it yeah it's uh there's six of them now um he started off just with the original trilogy Uh, it's the shakespeare star wars um uh, saga at this point because he's written all six of them mm-hmm. um, and basically what he's done is he's taken each film and written it as if William Shakespeare wrote it as a play um, and it sounds kind of like oh it's just a gimmick oh it's just right. a you know it's a, it's a fun quirky take on Star Wars and it's you know the novelty will wear off um, re- really fast and that's what I thought too until I picked up the first one and it's remarkable in that it's so true to Star Wars. It's so true to the film and it's so true also to Shakespeare. Like uh-huh. he's written it so well that it really feels like this is something that Shakespeare could have written. I mean, except for the fact that it's about, you know, like Wookiees and, and spaceships. Right. Um, it really does feel 
true to Shakespeare's style and 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 but it's also true to the Star Wars universe. Uh, he's done what I would have thought, you know, if you just told me this idea, I would have said that's impossible. Right. Um, so in that respect, I think that he's kind of done the impossible. Um, and each book, um, I, I don't want to say that they get better, but each book is almost as good as the last. So it's, you know, he's he's taken each film and, and condensed it and expanded it at the same time, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Um, because some characters, uh, he's given, he's given like this whole new light. He's, he's presented them in a whole new light. He's given characters like these long soliloquies and monologues and asides to the audience as if, you know, like some Shakespeare characters do. They, they talk directly to the audience or talk to themselves. Um, and he's given like R2-D2. R2-D2, when he's around other characters, just talks in beeps and boops. Um, but when he's by himself, he'll speak in English. So he's given R2-D2 this entire personality that is in keeping with what you think about R2-D2. But now it's like it's been verbalized. It's been put into words. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and it, it's really cool. And a lot of the characters get their own special treatments. Like uh, Yoda, the book, the, all the books are primarily in um, iambic pentameter, which is how Shakespeare plays were written. Right. Um, but there are some deviations. Like Yoda speaks in haiku, and he thought that that you know we we get into this a little bit in the interview, but he t- uh, because it felt like Yoda was very much a Zen master, and so he should be speaking in sort of this Japanese Zen poetic style. Right. Um, the Ewoks talk a different way. The Rancor um, has words. You know, I mean, so he's given wow. he's given words to all of these characters and sort of given them a unique personality, mm-hmm. even even with the pattern in which they speak. So Perfect. if you haven't read any of these books. I highly, highly recommend them. Um, they're they're just phenomenal, and you could get them. So I think you can get them all at the box set now, which is great. Awesome. And Jamie did this interview solo because I was slacking that week. So yeah, you're you're gonna hear it, and we're gonna play it for you right now. So uh, thank you so so much for joining us today, Ian. Um, and I obviously we're gonna be talking about the Shakespeare Star Wars books and I was just kind of wondering if you could go back to the beginning and talk about what was the spark that helped you first connect Shakespeare with Star Wars because it doesn't seem naturally intuitive sure uh, three things happened right around the same time I watched the original Star Wars trilogy with some good friends of mine and then not too long after that I read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies one of the first popular mm-hmm. mashup books uh, and then right after that went to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival with my family so uh, I kind of had Star Wars and mashups and Shakespeare all bouncing around in my head together and uh, had the idea while I was at the Shakespeare Festival to write the book. Awesome. Um, and how, when, you, when you sat down to write that first book, like how long did that take? Because it must have been difficult to, at that point when you had no experience doing it, to, I don't want to say shoehorn, but you know, put Star Wars into iambic pentameter when you hadn't done it already. I mean, the whole first book uh, took about four months working in the evenings after my kids are asleep, uh, you know, to, to write and, and put together. And, and it definitely took some time getting used to writing in iambic pentameter and getting used to grammar and just all of it. Uh, time, Yes, for sure. Were, were the subsequent books easier to write once you found a groove? Yeah, absolutely. I, I always describe iambic pentameter as, or writing in iambic pentameter as, Sort of like exercising a muscle. The more you do it, the stronger it gets. So, um, yeah. So, so with the subsequent books, those would take you know two or three months. Um, you know, but, but felt much more fluid. Yeah. I mean, what, what's your 
personally, like what's your history with with Shakespeare? Did you study it in school? I mean, was it something that came naturally to you? Yeah. So, so when I was in high school, my, my first year uh, in high school, we, we read Othello in my English class. And uh-huh. um, I had already sort of the year before declared myself interested in Shakespeare because my brother, who was older at the time, was studying Hamlet in his English class. And so I sort of just being a younger brother was like, yeah, I'm into Shakespeare, too. Uh, which didn't really mean anything at the time, but it meant that I, I came to it, I think, with a much more open attitude when we started studying Othello. And uh, and and I think I was just sort of one of the lucky ones, you know, for whom Shakespeare was sort of a natural, uh, a natural love. Um, and so yeah. I, you know, we studied a different play each year of high school. I was around the same time that Kenneth Branagh came out with his Much Ado About Nothing movie, mm. uh, and I was... Uh, I was sort of making it a, making a point to go out and see a lot of Shakespeare live. So, yeah, I just I just was sort of captured by Shakespeare and uh, and ran with it. Yeah, more power to you. I know. I mean, I'm a fan. It, it's hard for me to sit down and read Shakespeare, um, but I love to watch it live performed on stage, and I love to watch really good film adaptations of, of the stories. So. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to sit down and read it if you're not. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, just as in writing, iambic pentameter must be like a muscle. Um, I think reading it is, is a muscle also because it's it's just getting used to the rhythm and getting used to the references and how how those those lines and those speeches are supposed to be read aloud. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I don't take for granted that you know that I was a person that that. It, came relatively easily too because I know that's not the case for most students. Yeah. Uh when you were writing, did you have any sort of official oversight from Lucasfilm or did they let you run with this one? Yeah, so uh, once I finished a manuscript, it would uh it would first go through Workbook's hands for editing and mm-hmm. then it would go on to Lucasfilm for editing and and so uh you know, they would occasionally change things here or there. You know, sometimes it was as simple as uh you know, I had misspelled the name of a minor character or something like that and sometimes it was right. a major thing like uh when i wrote the empire strike it back i sort of included the scene that's missing from the movie where uh boba fett goes to cloud city and convinces lando to betray han uh, huh. and and they kind of took the whole thing out uh, which, which oh wow totally fair uh but <laughs> you know that's that's the sort of editorial control they have okay um well, I mean, but they, they it didn't see it doesn't seem like they were, you know, they didn't have, you know, on that that short of a leash because you took quite a few liberties in giving, you know, thoughts and, and, and motives to a lot of the characters that are never actually spoken in the films. So did you did you feel like you had a lot of freedom even within those constraints? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that was actually something early on when we first when Quirkbooks uh, first sent my my sample basically onto Lucasfilm. I had originally stayed fairly close to the original Star Wars in terms of not adding a lot of my own stuff. And they were the ones who actually said, you know, we think it'd be better if he he did more with this and actually had more fun with it and took, took it outside the bounds of the movie a little bit. And so I uh, went back and revised and, you know, that's when R2-D2 started speaking in English and, and things like that. So yeah. uh yeah, and at that point, then I realized, okay, they're, they they really want to see this concept go all the way. So, I would say with each with each new book, I felt freer and freer to you know sort of branch out and try other things. And you know, the worst they can say is no. 
Yeah, that's great. How closely did you work with uh, Nicholas Delort, who, who did the illustrations? Uh, I didn't work closely with him. I've I've met him, and he's, he's a nice guy, and obviously a, a very talented illustrator. Um, Quirkbooks uh, found him and uh, would would sort of work with him on which illustrations they needed for the books, and um, he would go and do them. and And I was always, you know, really happy with. Uh, mm-hmm. with his illustrations, it's always fun to get a new email from Quirk with the latest illustration. With a new picture. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you didn't you didn't spec that art at all? It was just like they, they were in control of which I, images they were going to have? I worked with them a bit, so they would send me a list of, you know, here's the illustrations we think we want. Do you have any thoughts or, or comments about it? Oh, uh, I see. Thing? Yeah. All right, great. Yeah, I mean... Some of those illustrations were just fantastic. I mean, just putting the characters in the in the Shakespearean wardrobe, it was just, it yeah. added a, a whole other level to the reading experience that was just, it, it, it added so much humor beyond what you had, had written on the page that it was just like you know, that visual humor that just made you stop and just, you know, you had to stop for a second and chuckle because of, you know, like the robe Darth Vader was wearing or whatever it was. Yeah, know? absolutely. I, I love how he sort of really helped capture the, the combination of these two worlds. When I first saw yeah. his drawing of Admiral Akbar, I, I just about died. <laughs> I, it's just it's just too good. So I, I always say that's worth the price of the book. Uh, oh, it really uh, is. It really is. I mean, no knock on your writing, which is phenomenal, but like some of those pictures really were. I mean, they're frame worthy. Some of them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so when you started out, I don't know when you started the project as a whole or when you started each book individually, did you have or did you make like a master list of, of Shakespeare lines and soliloquies that you wanted to work in somehow and then just pepper them in as you wrote? Or did you already know that, OK, this line from Hamlet, I'm definitely going to use with this scene in Star Wars or something like that? No. And in, in most of the time, I, I did not plan out those references. I just I just sort of. You know, as they just came to me as I was writing, would would put them in, which is why there's sort of a preponderance of them from Hamlet and Much Ado About Nothing, yeah. which are the two that I two plays I know the best. Um, well, Hamlet also has the most memorable lines. <laughs> exactly, that's right, that's right. Um, the, I would say the only one that I really planned out carefully was um, knowing that there were going to be illustrations. Uh, was Luke addressing his stormtrooper helmet in, in the in a new oh. house, you know, saying, yeah. "Alas, poor stormtrooper." Yeah. Yeah, some of those references. I mean, it, it's remarkable that you're saying that you didn't plan some of those out because some of them felt so natural. I'm like, well, well of course, this is what they're going to say at this point. <laughs> um, were there any? Were there any? You know, in retrospect, or or when you finished a book, were there any Shakespearean bits that you wanted to use but just couldn't find a place for? Um, you know, there was one that I that I considered using that I thought was like, oh, that's just too much. You know, when, when Luke is considering whether or not to leave Tatooine and he's, you know, it's the scene in the movie where he's just sort of staring out at the two sons. Uh, I almost had him say to go or not to go. That is the question. But I was like, you know, that's just one step too obvious for me. So, yeah. It's a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. Um, when are these going to be performed? I I know that at a few cons across, around the country they've done scenes, but I mean these are just begging to be picked up by a theater and done live. So right now Lucasfilm is not allowing public performances or readings. Uh, yeah, so so I hope that at some point that might might change, but that's uh, that's their prerogative. They they hold the copyright to the books now, and yeah. um, so we'll see. I'm I'm hopeful, especially you know with 
Disney now owning Lucasfilm, Disney certainly has uh, a lot of experience uh, licensing their material for theater in a way that Lucasfilm doesn't. And so, yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point in the future we'll see that. Right now, I kind of think Lucasfilm has bigger fish to fry. Uh, yeah. With the new movie. So. It, it is. I mean, do they give a reason, or is it just like we don't have time to deal with that li- with the licensing issues right now, or is is there a larger reason for why they prefer that it doesn't be performed? I haven't heard a larger reason. I mean, I'm sure okay. that strategically, whatever for whatever reason, it's just not in their plans. But I, I have never heard more of an explanation. Hmm. That's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it would it would be fun. Yeah. So several times during the books. Um, the iambic pentameter is broken. So, for example, Yoda speaks in haiku. The Ewoks have a have a certain pattern to their speech. The Rancor has a certain pattern to his speech. Um, and I admit it's been a while. I just said it's since I've read Shakespeare. But does he do anything similar like that in in, in any of the plays that he wrote? He does. Uh, I mean, first of all, we have a lot of characters in Shakespeare who speak in in prose. It's actually way more than I uh, than I thought it was and heard. Right heard the uh the official number not too long ago and it's something like 30 percent of his plays are in prose or something like that so, really yeah because i mean once you got around to like much ado about nothing uh you know much of that play is in prose um and so yeah so, so huh. there's, there's a lot of prose and there's also then things like um i mean certainly his songs would not be in right or um a character like puck was basically speaking in iambic tetrameter most of the time uh, mm-hmm. or even something like trochaic tetrameter if these shadows have offended things that this and all is mended right so um yeah so he he definitely mixed it up occasionally Macbeth, um, which is would be another example there uh certainly he never did haiku uh but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah he, he did switch it up from time to time interesting yeah i i that that it's kind of astonishing if it, the number is really as high as 30%. Because, you know, when you're a student or when you learn about Shakespeare, that's the one thing that's hammered home is that iambic pentameter. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and you sort of learn that prose is for the, the lower class characters. But actually, when it comes to some plays, uh, I mean, Hamlet speaks in prose a lot. Uh, Benedict and Beatrice uh, speak in a lot of prose. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I When I, I heard that, Oh, a couple months ago, and I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Hmm. Yeah. So you gave speaking. You, you mentioned R two D two that you were allowed to let him talk, speak in English. Um, but you also gave speaking lines to like the Wampa and the Space Slug and even the Adats. Uh, why continue to have poor Chewie just roar? <laughs> uh, I do feel bad about Chewbacca. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I wrote the first book. Again, it was it was after Lucasfilm had said, uh, you know, go ahead and make this your own. And I went back to revise the first couple of scenes, and that's when we have C-3PO and R2-D2 on the rebel ship. And so that's when I had R2 speak in English. And and so by the time I got around to Chewbacca, I felt like I had sort of used that shtick uh, yeah. for R2-D2 already. So, so Chewbacca just sort of gets his random roars and growls and that sort of thing. And not much else. I wish, in retrospect, that I had done something fun. I think it would have been fun to, uh, you know, sort of have an asterisk next to each of his lines, and down at the bottom of the page you read like editor's note or editor's yeah, translation, you know, note. and then you see what the translation is or something like that. But 
yeah. alas, that was not to be. So I, yeah, <laughs> I, I do feel bad about Chewbacca. Yeah, I, f- I feel like he's such a popular character and he always gets like the short end of the stick. <laughs> it's, it's true. All he gets is the Christmas special. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and and most people would rather forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so in The Jedi Doth Return, there is a scene, um, and I believe it's the scene uh, where Luke um, acknowledges kissing his sister once he he realizes what what's happened but he he relates you know this story it's quote unquote an ancient tale of Tatooine and it's about a Tuscan raider and his mother and their unnatural relationship uh and it's more or less a direct telling of Oedipus Rex yep it is phenomenal it is phen- I I I when I read I had to read it like 3 times when I read the book because it was so good please 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 tell me they're going to let you do a full length adaptation of that story <laughs> Uh, that would be really fun. I, oh my god, did, that would be uh, amazing. In, in tragedy of the Sith Revenge, I, you may not have read that one yet, but but I uh, so there's a scene in in the movie, uh, kind of a long way around to what to the, back to the point, but uh, uh-huh. and there's a scene in the movie where Palpatine is in the Galactic Opera, and it's sort of this big, you know, this giant bubble meets opera meets Cirque du Soleil kind of thing going on, and that's where he tells Anakin the story of Darth Plagueis. Who right. supposedly had the power over death, and uh, I decided in my telling of of that to make that like the play within a play scene from Hamlet, where Palpatine mm-hmm. actually has these players at his disposal, and uh, and he has them act out the story of Darth Plagueis for Anakin. Um, it, but just like in you know in Hamlet, when the players first arrive at Elsinore, Hamlet asks one of them for a speech um, from a totally different play than what he's going to have performed for Claudius. Uh, and, and the first player gets up and gives this rousing speech. Well, I have the same thing happen in, in tragedy of the revenge, but Palpatine asks for a speech from this, uh, this play about the Tuscan Raider who married his mother and, uh, and mm. killed his father. And so it's the, it's the speech that, you know, the, the Tuscan Oedipus gives, uh, after, basically, after right after he's realized the truth and, and has realized that his mother has hanged herself because she also knows the truth. Uh, so it was really fun for me to sort of come back to that that fake tale that I had uh, right. had set up with the night of return. And, oh, it's very real now. Yeah, <laughs> you've yeah, added right. it's in canon now. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would love to see. Um, sort of, you know, expanded universe versions in this in this world, this Shakespeare Star Wars world. I think that would be a great way to, to continue the the, the, the the books. It'd be really fun. I mean, now that uh, and we're gonna we're gonna reference this podcast when I actually write this book. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd, be, it'd be really fun we're to, going like, crazy meta. <laughs> to, to do like the Star Wars classics, right? You know, so so to do this Tuscan Raider tale of Oedipus Tex and to do some version of the Odyssey, where you know Han Solo is desperately trying to make it back to home after after some large battle, and you know, yeah, uh, that would be a lot of fun. You've completed all six films um, in, in the Shakespeare Star Wars cycle. Uh, I assume eventually, in the not too distant future, we might see an adaptation of The Force Awakens. Uh, it's possible. Nothing is totally certain yet. So my editor and I are talking about it. I think. Uh, I, my editor especially wants to make sure that episode seven doesn't turn into a phantom menace, <laughs> sort of disappointed 
uh, fan kind of thing. Uh, yeah. None of us think that's going to happen. Uh, just the way that the movie looks, but yeah. But there's there's nothing nothing set set in stone yet. Um. Other than that, what else? What are the chances? I guess what I'm really asking here surreptitiously is what are the chances we're going to get a Shakespeare Star Wars holiday special? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Every year for the last couple of years, QuirkBooks and I have thrown that idea around. And last year around October or so, I actually sat down with my kids and watched the holiday special. It's so and bad. It's, Was uh, that the first time you had seen it? That is the first time I'd seen it, yeah. And, oh. and yeah, it's just so bizarre. Uh, it's awful. So I think there's no way that's ever going to happen. <laughs> but you could make it fun. I mean, not a lot of people enjoy the prequels, but you made it enjoyable with your retelling of it. I think that there's so much material, so much unexpected and in, 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 in just off-the-wall material in that holiday special that that uh, it could lend itself to some just real crazy Shakespearean comedy. It, it, it could. It totally could. I, I mean... The other challenge with it for me is there's relatively little dialogue. I mean, there's so much that it's just... There's a lot of Wookiees. Uh, yeah, just in the Wookiee <laughs> household, them going around and us watching what they're doing. And, yeah. But you've got the uh, the Boba Fett animated segment, so that that that's pretty good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there, there are definitely some gems there. So. Yeah. But other than that, and maybe outside of uh, Shakespeare Star Wars, what else have you got coming up? Well, so I'm... I'm working on a, a book right now that would be aimed at, you know, kids 14, 15 and up. Um, and then I'm also uh, just sort of for fun this holiday season working on the uh, working on William Shakespeare's A Christmas Carol, um, where it'll be a Shakespearean telling of A Christmas Carol. Oh, uh, wow. The other sort of piece of it that will be fun, hopefully, uh, is uh, that all of the characters other than Scrooge, all the characters will be Shakespearean characters. So the Ghost of oh, Christmas great. Past is Puck and Ghost of Christmas Present is Falstaff and things like that. Is that gonna be published or where are people gonna be able to read that? No, that's gonna be something that I'll I'll just make available online, probably through my website. Um, oh and uh, yeah, so so it's not gonna be official or anything like that. It'll just be a just gonna be like a holiday treat for your fans. Exactly. Yeah. Oh that's awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, do you have a favorite? Do you have a uh, or anything else? I'm sorry, I cut you off. I uh, no, no, that's that's what I'm. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? Uh, well, I mean, clearly Hamlet and Much Ado uh, are right up there, uh, and all that number of references I throw in today. Mm-hmm. Um, I really have a soft spot for The Tempest, my heart, and um, I think that's a really fun play. Um, really like Othello a lot, especially like Iago as a villain. Um, and yeah, so that, so I mean, I could go on, but there, yeah. there are many that, that I hold dear. Do you have a favorite film version of any of those? Uh, I mean, for Much Ado, for me, it's, it's the Kenneth Branagh version. Um, yeah. I, I do, the Joss Whedon version is, is good and I like it, but um, when I was in high school, I probably watched the Kenneth Branagh version 15 times. Uh, yeah. So it's just, it's just really part of who, who I am. Um, but for Hamlet, um, you know, I like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet a lot also. I um, uh, Mel Gibson's is okay. And, and basically, I, I feel like Mel Gibson's and Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet are it, one of the differences. One of the main differences is that I feel like Mel Gibson plays him mad and Kenneth Branagh mm-hmm. plays him 
total weight thing. Um, yeah. And so, uh, and I and I just like North Carolina's version better. So. Yeah. Um, I really like the uh, Julie Tamer has done both Titus Andronicus and The Tempest, and mm, her Titus is phenomenal. It, it is. It, yeah, and and I really enjoy her Tempest also. So um, I hope she will. I hope she will choose something else to do. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there there are a lot of a lot of movies. Mm here on film. I try to see as much as I can. Uh, I just yeah. heard recently about a uh, oh a Hamlet with uh, his name is uh, David Tennant um, and Patrick Stewart is a project. Yes, uh, yes, I mean, I it's, it's very good. The um, it, it's it's funny we haven't gotten um, we haven't gotten like a big budget Shakespeare production in a long time. I, I, you know, back when Kenneth Branagh was in his prime of, of doing like basically every other, every other play, um, it, it seemed like it was very at the forefront of, of pop culture. Um, and since he's sort of taken a step back from all of that, it doesn't feel like it, at least in the mainstream, it doesn't feel like anybody has really stepped up and taken his place. And we haven't really seen Shakespeare, um, perform that way we've seen some some adaptations and some you know like the joss whedon version like you said um but it uh we haven't seen any sort of straight middle of the road straight ahead straightforward performances and i think i think that's missing i i agree and 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 honestly i have you know my my nerd self has some really hard feelings about all that because i actually think that kenneth Branagh was was um really wounded in a big way by the critics of his movies, um, especially when yeah. he did Love, Labor's Lost and people just laughed off his interpretation of it, which I think is a lovely little film. Um, yeah. And uh, and I think, I mean, he had plans to do Macbeth uh, and, and I'm sure he would have gone on and done other things and I think he basically said, well, if this is, this is how you're going to treat it, then forget it. Uh, forget it. I'm going to go do Thor instead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't yeah, I mean I would love to see, you know, his take on something like Lear. Yeah. And you know, I have to I have to believe that I mean, one way or another the world will see his King Lear. Uh, I'm sure. I I mean I just feel certain. Uh, he just yeah. He just did Macbeth with the he was the National Theater and um you know, I was able to at least see uh the video of that, uh, which was fun to see and I'm sure I mean I'm just you can't be a Shakespearean actor like him and not eventually do yeah no it, it's it's kind of like a rite of passage it's yeah. amazing he's yeah. made it this long without without having done it yeah that's true yeah um and since I asked you uh favorite uh Shakespeare I guess I have to ask you what's your favorite Star Wars uh so I'll give the unpopular answer and say Return of the Jedi uh <laughs> okay you know I know the no fan wisdom says Empire, and the more I'm an adult, the more I appreciate Empire. But again, it goes back to those like childhood, you know, sure. memories. And and Jedi was the first one that I saw in the theater. I was six years old when it came out, and me too. Um, just loved the uh, the whole Jabba sequence, um, which I still, I mean, for me, the first forty minutes of that movie, or however long the Jabba sequence is, is just total gold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after that. It did, you know, like like the whole Ewok. I, I could I could do without the Ewok, you know. But again, the movie picks up. Uh, I think just 
really well when it gets around to the whole final scene with Luke and Darth Vader and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's funny that, you know, that's the unpopular opinion because it's still a great movie. And I know a lot of people have issue with the Ewoks and, you know, they call them the Jar Jar of the original trilogy. But, you know, I was like you. Jedi was the first movie, first Star Wars movie that I saw in the theater. I was five. I grew up with all the toys. Um, and as a kid, I never saw the Ewoks as sort of there for my enjoyment. You know, they were just that was what lived on that planet. I never saw them as like a marketing or a merchandise gimmick. And and so as I grew up, I, like that never dawned on me until the Internet told me that I was stupid for liking them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then you go back and see it with other, with those eyes and you can be like, oh, yeah, of course, this is like the thing for the kids. Uh, right. You know, but but if, but at this point, it's nostalgia is telling me that I still love them, you know? Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Ian, this has been fantastic. I know you I know I don't want to take too much more of your time, but thank you so much for for uh, talking with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Do you have um, anything, any, you know, where can people find you online, that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm at iandesher.com uh, and Twitter at iandesher. And if, if you Google Ian Desher, you basically are going to find me. Excellent. <laughs> there aren't and too many I, we, of us we, there. we will put up links to your website and your Twitter handle and everything when, when the post goes live. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. This yeah. is great. All right. Thanks, Amy. Well, that's it for this week's interview with Ian Desher. And that was a great interview, Jamie. I think you did pretty good on your own. Hey, thanks. I think we should do that more often. Yeah. We, <laughs> you just kind of like extra baggage at some point. You well, you know? know, I'll just sit silently while you interview people and I'll just do the production, of, you know, of All the right. podcast. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we, we kind of had a review contest and. I don't know if we're going to, me and Jamie were discussing, are we going to announce the winner live? And I don't uh, even, I don't know. I think we'll wait. We'll wait. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll put it in the, um, the post for this episode. So I don't know how you guys listen to this, but if you really want to know who the winner is, um, just go on to Geek Dad and search for Ian Desher and pull up the, uh, this episode and uh, we'll have it there in the, uh, in the show notes on that post. Perfect. So we will be back next week with another great episode and if again if you want to get in touch we are at the gbb podcast on twitter and facebook uh, let us know how you like the show i seen somebody p- tweeting last week to our guest about loving the show that they were on so that w- that was pretty cool yeah it was pretty cool <laughs> somebody wrote to bill farmer and yeah. said uh, they heard him on the show and then they liked it and we like that we like yeah. when we hear from you um, whether you want to tweet the, uh, the, the guest directly or not, that's fine. But, you know, talk to us. Let us know that you're liking it. That's cool, too. Interaction you know? is key. It's we fun. have feelings. We <laughs> like to know that we're loved we're not or just, at least listened to. <laughs> we're not just voices in fake studios. We're yeah. <laughs> hey, now. It's not fake. No, no, There's no. a real room around me right it's now. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Justin Connors at 140JustinC on all platforms, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and I am Jamie Green at The Roarbots on all platforms, pretty much. <laughs> so it's going to be a mystery which platform. So go search the different ones <laughs> and you'll see it. All right, guys. Have a great week. <laughs> Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. 
you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.